We're just all chatting. Right. We, Holly and I are just sitting here being awed by all the people who are uh, behind the scenes to make this work. Y'all are awesome. William and Olivia and John and Tim. And without them, this would not be. Yeah. This would not be. We're at least making them laugh right now because we, we just sit here and look pretty and they, they plug things in and try sound and drop things. We're good. We're great. <laughs> so uh, I want to give you, thank you for being yeah. uh, out there. And I'm, I'm glad that you are joining Holly Hudley and me today for this um, version of Ordinary Life. And I want to say uh, right off the bat that no matter who you are, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome to join us here. And we look forward to the day when social distancing does not keep us from meeting face-to-face. -face. Because we're not meeting face-to-face, -face, it's really difficult to know what's going on with people who are in the Ordinary Life community or the St. Paul's community. So I have a favor to ask. If you have a need of any kind um, that is church-related, you want us to know about yourself, your neighbor, somebody who may need food, may need uh, transportation, may need some way that we can reach out to them, please call the number on your screen, St. Paul's uh, number, 713-528-0527. You'll get kicked into voicemail, but that's fine because we have uh, a staff of pastors here who are really eager and into overdrive in trying to find ways for us to stay connected. So if you check the uh, either the Ordinary Life website or the St. Paul's website, you'll find ways that we are creatively trying to um, have groups come together through using platforms like Zoom and Skype and other things so that we can meet during this time. So um, we would like to do that. Now, here's the mixed message. During the week, Holly and I spent a lot of time talking on the phone about this. And she sent me a poem by Hafiz. Hafiz, yes. That had a line in it that caused me to say, wow, this could give us an opening for our talk next week. Yeah. Right? Right. It's a great poem. And the title of the talk is going to be? My nose is bigger than yours. We have to sit and profile and, and let profile. people Probably see. Probably my nose. My is nose bigger. is bigger than yours. It's a poem <laughs> by Hafiz. I love, I love his poetry, and I, I had not seen that. Yeah, he's quite funny. He's a funny mystic. So we don't have to do that. Um, it is, I think that the poem centers around something that's really critical for this time, and that's how we look at each other and how we begin to see each other. But before that poem had found Holly, I had come up with the idea that maybe we could do a class, a time, a conversation between the two of us where you could submit things, and I'll tell you about how to do that in a minute, and and. The class would be questions we would like for Holly to ask Bill or questions we would like for Bill to ask Holly or topics we wish the two of you would address. Yes. And we could have some spontaneity with it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, last week we did ask for your feedback 
and we got it while we were talking. And most of the text said that um, you couldn't see the slides. I think we fixed that today. We hope so. We hope so. Yeah. And we're working on even a better fix yeah. uh, uh, going forward. But if this if this idea appeals to you, one of the things, one of the ways that you can get in touch with us is that you can send an email through the Ordinary Life website. I experimented with this twice. Um, in the last 72 hours. Sending yourself an email? I sent myself an email Great. through the Ordinary Life website, and I gave it a very creative title called Test. <laughs> Gosh, I've never heard of that before. And then, yeah, yeah, and that was the content of it, mm -hmm, too. Mm -hmm. I got the email in five seconds. Great. So it yeah. works. So if the place where you're logged on right now, uh, I think it's contact us is in the upper right-hand corner. I could be wrong about that. Or... You could just send a text to me at this number, 713-594-9180, and we'll try to pay attention to it today. We both have our phones out to see if that happens. And um, by the way, did I tell you that we checked the analytics of last week and there were almost 300 devices yeah. hooked up to this? Yeah, at you that did. Time? I think that's pretty cool. It's bigger than our... Our class Bigger can even physically hold. than our class. So. And we have people who watch from different places. Yeah. Holly's cell phone is 832-314-0606. Um, so questions that you would like me to ask her, huh. questions you would like her to ask me, questions you would like or topics you would like the two of us to discuss together during this time or at any time. Uh, for that matter. So, gosh, how rapidly things have unfolded yeah. in the last couple of weeks. When mm -hmm. we started this, uh, when we came to church last Sunday, the anticipation was we would be not holding face-to-face -face meetings for two weeks. Right. And now it's six to eight. Now it's at least eight, maybe yeah. longer. We're going mm -hmm. past Easter. I've been, <clears throat> I have been connected to the St. Paul's community for 30 years, and only one time that I can remember did we not have a physical meeting here on a Sunday, and that was during Harvey. Gosh. Even when Allison, some of you might remember Allison, the huge rainstorm that swept through the city mm -hmm. came, we mm -hmm. still had a meeting, uh, one, here, because the sanctuary building was flooded, but we don't know what we're in for, mm -hmm. and we're going to keep doing this and have ways. Some of you who are on the Ordinary Life listserv, meaning that you get the previews and summaries, you notice that I have ramped up the number of contacts that I'm trying to have with you during this time. I hope it's not irritating. If it is, let me know, and I will back off from doing that. But I do want us to uh, stay in touch. I only send you things that I think are useful. Yeah. So as for today, <clears throat> last Sunday night, <laughs> not knowing where we were heading, but getting clear that this is going to be longer. Yes. I got into bed. My routine is to read before I go to sleep. Right now I'm reading the third in the Ken Follett books. Oh, of the 
uh, Middle Ages trilogy, uh -huh. the Pillars right of the Earth. Right, right now Perfect one for right now. It's all about the plague. Well, the first one is really about the plague. Yeah. 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 And the third one is about burning people at the stake. That's when they figured out, actually some nuns figured out that washing your hands is what prevents the spread of disease. And wearing a face yeah. mask. Yeah. If you're dealing with somebody who's but sick. But they didn't have running water then, so the right. idea of washing your hands was not... Have you read those books? I've read all three of them, yeah. They're good. Mm -hmm, they are. Yeah, he's a good, good, captivating writer, yeah. Right. So anyway, as I was getting into bed, I have on my iPad, my iPhone, and um, this app that I've mentioned to you before called We Croak, <laughs> which at five ran random times during the day uh, sends you a little reminder that pops up on your screen and says, remember, you are going to die. And one of the things we're going to talk about today in this talk is fear. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're all going to die. And if you're afraid of death, that's really a bad fear to have. So we'd like to get rid of that. <laughs> in the next 45 minutes, we yeah. will get well, rid of your fear of death. You, you, I'm <laughs> optimistic. Right. So <laughs> along with the, the announcement that you're going to die that comes at five random times a day, there is a quote. And some of them are more telling than others. But this is the one that I read last Sunday night. It's by Stephen King. And it says, the world has teeth. And it can bite you anytime it wants. Mm. And we're being bitten right now by the plague. I mean, that's one way to look at it. That it's, that it's an act of aggression by the world. But it also is just an act of evolution. So um, I came up with the title, yeah. and then Holly helped modify it for today's <laughs> talk about how not to go to berserk when things fall apart. It raises an interesting philosophical question, mm -hmm. which is, do things fall apart? Right. Do they? It, I think that one of the worst things you can say to someone when they're stressed or anxious is, don't stress. Just calm right. down. Just calm down. That's right. never said to anybody at a time when they can do it. That's right. That's right. So I think there are people in the world right now who do feel like things are falling apart because their routine is disrupted. Their ways of operating in the world are completely altered. Um, there are some who are like, yay, we get to stay home for as long as the foreseeable future allows, and that may not feel like falling apart. Mm -hmm. um, my thought on falling apart is that things, we, you fall apart, but you fall back together too, you know? So mm -hmm. things get undone and redone and undone and redone, and that's also true in, in the cosmos, right? Mm -hmm. Things fall apart, they rejoin, they become something else. So I was thinking this morning that um, what we're talking about is obviously grounded in, I hope, good scholarship and mm -hmm. science. Yes. And obviously it has psychological foundations and obviously it has good theological foundations. But really, to benefit from what we are talking about right now is an experiential thing. Yes, yeah. And so I'm so sorry I've never brought this up before in here, but people who have a daily, daily spiritual, spiritual practice, practice. <laughs> begin to get it yes. that things, what you experience in the meditation practice is things come into being, 
and they pass away. And they come into being and they pass away. Just like the rhythm of day and night or breathing in and breathing out or any, anything, mm -hmm. sunrise and sunset, nothing lasts. Right. And you can't get into the future. You can't hold on to the past. So in a way, things don't fall apart mm -hmm. because things never were in place. Right. I, uh, the word disaster mm -hmm. is a word that has root, meaning that we're out of alignment with the stars. That's so beautiful. We are a bit out of alignment with the stars. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there's an, an, an equation to be said that we have this over-dependence on kind of chemicalization, on, um, on certain materials, and that depletes the earth, which depletes us, which depletes our immune system. So, you know, things, things work cyclically, mm -hmm. right? So um, to be in alignment with the stars um, a friend of mine sent me a poem about that last night, actually, about hearing the, so the stars sing. It was, it's beautiful. Maybe I'll bring it next week. But it is, um, can we hear the stars sing? And if we can still hear the stars sing, that indicates some level of connectivity mm. with uh, the earth, with each other, with just really tuning in. One of the things that happens to people, to all of us, is that we get in the cycle of thinking, if only then, mm -hmm. if only so-and-so, then we wouldn't be in this condition. Right. And um, the, first of all, we are in this condition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the best thing we can do is accept that and to embrace that reality. And I, I've had a number of people send me a TED Talk that Bill Gates did a number of years ago predicting the pandemic that's coming. I've had even more people send me information about the fact that there was modeling done right. about this very virus within three, the last three months before 90 days yeah. mm -hmm. that was not heated. Mm -hmm. And I have heard cooler heads say, now is not the time for blame. Right. Now is the time for compassion and for looking out for each other and to come together in ways that this polarized country has not been able to come together in the last number of years. And it, we could, uh, we, I would even expand that to the world. I mean, the world is sort of dealing with this in the same moment. And the reason we know that the world is is because we have the capacity to use technology to connect with the rest of the world. Have right? you seen what's going on in Barcelona? Oh, in literally in real time, or is it a movie? <laughs> no, it's, okay. re it's literally what's going on okay. in real time. Tell me. At 8 o'clock at night, all the people in Barcelona get out on their balconies because they're under severe lockdown, and they bang pots and blow musical instruments and shout thanksgiving and support for their medical That's professionals. Yeah. The whole city doing that together, That's coming great. together. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. There are moments of beauty, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, there's one of the areas that I've been trained in and practiced for a little bit was in holistic health. And there's a strong correlation between the um, how we internalize and process stress and, and our overall well-being. Mm -hmm. And it is certain that all, almost all dis-ease, so disease, dis-ease, can be connected with how our body deals with stress, whether that's um, 
an internal stress, a foreign in invader like a bacteria or a virus, or how we deal with external stressors that happen in our lives. And I mean, again, it, it really does point to the importance of having that daily spiritual practice to learn how to become more equanimous. <laughs> is that a word? <laughs> in, in moments of stress. That is one of the yes. four immeasurables. That's right. We haven't um, gotten there yet, though. And, and yeah. we'll, to be, um, to live at peace with what is, about, I'm going to say six or seven months ago, let's say six months ago, mm -hmm. uh, after teaching class in here, I, I evidently said something about the how we were not dealing with ecological issues in a good way, that right. we were not taking care of the earth or ourselves. And um, after th the third worship service, I was at my door greeting people, shaking hands, doing unhealthy things now. <laughs> we know. And uh, one of our, one of the guys who'd been here in ordinary life said to me, uh, you don't have to worry about the earth. The earth's going to take care of itself. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, well, probably uh, in the not-too-distant future, we're going to suffer from a pandemic. Hmm. And it made me think of what my friend Joseph Rochelle, some of you may remember Joseph, um, Buddhist friend of mine who now lives in Austin. Uh, I asked him once in a conversation, what do you... What do you think about the future of the earth? What I meant was, what do you think about our future? How are we, what's our future? And, and Joseph said, the earth is going to be fine. The <laughs> earth is like a wet dog. You know how a dog gets wet? And then a dog shakes itself like that to get the water off? <laughs> That's what the earth is doing or can do. And if we plunder the earth, if we don't take care of her, then uh, she didn't take care of herself. She's been around for a long time. Four billion years. Yeah. yeah. One of the exercises that um, Joanna Macy says to do in her book, Active Hope, mm -hmm. is write a letter from the earth to you mm -hmm. as if she were your mother. Yeah. <laughs> and what would the earth say to us about how we are treating her? William, shame on you. That's what she would say. Uh, where my mother, she would also say, "Be sweet." That's right, be sweet. That's right. Um, you know what? What I was thinking about. We both have an affinity for James Finley. You've actually spent time with him, and I've just listened to him. But he talks about the the practice of return. That in our spiritual practice, we you know the the idea of watching our thoughts, our feelings, our reactions go by like leaves on a river, mm -hmm. right? And just kind of watching them float by. That takes time, practice, and effort to learn how to do that without wanting to grab out and reach for every leaf that floats by. But he says, you know, the number of times you get distracted is also the number of times you get to return. That's to return cool. to source, to return yeah. to the moment. And yeah. there's, I was, I've been thinking about, and I was, I was talking to you about this man, Jarvis Masters, on death row in San Quentin prison. We can skip. And he is, um, he was, He's a death row inmate at San Quentin Prison in California. And at 19, he was arrested for armed robbery and placed in jail for something like 10 to 15 years. But in the, in the time that he was in jail, in the first couple of years, a guard was murdered. 
and he was accused as being one of the uh, masterminds of this murder, although it was proven that he did not commit it. It was not even proven that he helped mastermind it. Nevertheless, he was placed on death row. He was the only pe person among the five to seven who were thought to be involved that was placed on death row, and he didn't even commit the murder. Like, they found that out, that he did not commit it. It's, it's, I mean, it's a really compelling story by itself, but he lives for 30 years in a four and a half foot by 10 and a half foot cell. And at some point during his um, death row sentencing, he began to read about Buddhism. And he kind of swallowed it. He really just engulfed it. And he was, the, he's I think the only prisoner to have a teacher, a Buddhist teacher, come give him the Buddhist sacraments. And so was kind of given that, I, I don't know what it's called, he's not a priest, but he was given the sacraments to kind of become a Buddhist officially, right? And um, his teacher at that time was uh, Rinpoche, you know who that is? And now his teacher is Pima Chodron, who visits him at least two times a year on death row to, to, to work with him, to meditate with him, to ask him about his practice. And, you know, he, I'm just thinking, if he can find equanimity, I'm sure not every day is easy. Reading his book, which I have, it's obvious that not every day is easy. But if he can do a daily practice, find equanimity, and find purpose in a four and a half by ten and a half foot cell, I figured I can give it a shot in my house for <laughs> the next six to eight weeks. <laughs> you know, just, just in the interest of full disclosure, mm -hmm. our title today is about how not to go to berserk when things fall right. apart. When things fall apart is the title of one of Pima Children's That's right. Books. That's why I thought it was kind of cool, a yeah. nice synchronicity that she's his teacher. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. I frequently quote my connection to Carl Jung saying that the way out of our dilemma is to find a spiritual solution. Yes, yeah. I would say that in different ways. At the moment, I would say the way out of our dilemma is connect with our true selves, mm -hmm. and then we're okay. Well, one of the things that led me to this degree that I'm doing right now is just this interest in thinking that our evolution is really about consciousness, morality, and spirituality. That, I think, is what, that, that's what I really into it, that our, our next great evolution has to be more of an internal. So this is, uh, would, would you say then that our purpose here is to fulfill our destiny as being consciousness able to reflect on itself, able to reflect on the, the well-being of our earth? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that consciousness Ha, this is going to bring up a, we're all, we are so off our notes right now, but that's great. <laughs> um, one of the things that we talked about was this idea of preeminence versus eminence, right? And in, in, in my thought, things are kind of co-evolving. There's a co-evolution happening between our notions of God, our notions of consciousness, our notions of expansion, and I, I, I really think that those things are happening together. So as we become conscious and reflect on the cosmos, however much we can, it too is experiencing consciousness. So there's this like mutuality and experience and experiencing consciousness. Now, we've had some 
conversations about personification. We sure have. Are we going there now? Well, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to get away from what we've prepared. Right. But so is it is it within the realm of reason to say I know this is not accurate, but I'm speaking metaphorically mm -hmm. that the earth thought, hmm, I need consciousness to evolve so that conscious creatures can take better care of me. Is that possible? Well, there's mutuality in that, right? This idea that, um, that they both need each other, right? I don't necessarily think the earth needs us. I do think we need the earth. And so as long as we're here, then it does become our duty to take better care. As you said, the earth can shake, a, shake off like a dog shaking fleas, mm -hmm. right? And, but we can't. We can't shake the earth off. We're the fleas. <laughs> and we are the fleas. But we're very uh, narcissistic and egocentric, and we yeah. think the show's all about us. Yeah, we do. So um, let's talk about the f the fact that people are so afraid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was going to say one more thing about Jarvis Masters is that he he wrote this beautiful poem that reflects the experience of being sentenced to death, and the poem goes back and forth between creating um, what is called uh, prison pruno or prison wine out of mashed up fruits and sugar and letting it ferment under your bunk and being sentenced to death. So he's simultaneously grappling with um, death and also creativity, creating something, making something. I will put that recipe in the summary that goes out. <laughs> if liquor stores close, here's what you can do. <laughs> well, it's not the recipe. It is the incredible creativity of this guy yeah. who takes the literal transcript of his being sentenced to death mm -hmm. and every other line puts this recipe for hooch. Right. <laughs> in the, in, in, We're going to start hanging white flags point, outside it, of our it, house. It, 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 the juxtaposition yeah. is just absolutely it's jarring. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Should I read it? Or we'll move on. We'll, we'll put it in the summary. Uh, I think we better, yeah. uh, better move yeah. on. Because yeah. I want to talk about fear. Yeah. <laughs> the um, Bertrand Russell had a great line about, has a great line about fear. Fear is the main source of superstition and one of the main sources of cruelty. Mm -hmm. Hoarding is cruel to other people. To conquer fear is the beginning of wisdom. And the way that you conquer fear from the standpoint of the spirituality that I try to teach, that we try to teach in here, uh, is to look at it deeply and see the source of it. Mm -hmm. um, there's really nothing to be afraid of in the present moment. And which, what we'll talk about next week, this, this popped in my mind, is that when we see, when we turn light on things, then there's no reason to be afraid. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm-hmm.
I thought of the fact uh, while we were getting ready to work on this, there are people who are terrified. Yes. Right yes. now, there are people who are terrified. And I'm not minimizing that, and I'm not saying I don't um, understand that. And I get, I get anxious mm -hmm. about what's happening uh, because we don't know. We don't know how long this is going right. to last. We, we just don't know. And there are so many voices out there that are saying, not only is it bad, but it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. That's why people are locking down states and down. cities and that sort of thing. As they say, to flatten out the curve so that medical facilities don't get overwhelmed. We just don't know what's, right. what's going to happen. And we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. We have to hold on to that particular thing. Uh, in <clears throat> in the Judeo-Christian tradition, one of the thing, one of the most frequent phrases you hear in the Jewish tradition, and from the teachings of Jesus, is "Fear not, do not be afraid. Right. I am with you. There is nothing to fear." That didn't mean that people didn't suffer. That didn't mean that people didn't have difficulties and disappointments. But it did mean that there was nothing to to fear. Mm -hmm. And and I, I think about the fact that people have lives full of complaints now, can't get enough toilet paper, can't get enough hand sanitizer, can't get enough of this. But I think of somebody like Mother Teresa, mm -hmm. who has seen more suffering in a week. I know she's dead now, but she saw more suffering in a week that most of, a, of us see in our lifetime. Right. Yeah. I think about Nelson Mandela, mm -hmm. who for <laughs> almost three decades yeah, I think it was. Yeah, at least. was in this prison cell yeah. and came out not embittered at all. I keep, I keep uh, I, I'm reading a new book to me, a new yeah. book on, on um, Jesus, and um, I just finished this morning reading a chapter on the crucifixion. Uh, by this Buddhist mystic who writes about Jesus. And, um, you know, if I identify with Jesus, uh, I don't, I don't want to be crucified, for sure. But if I did have that experience and I came back, you know, I'd be looking out to get somebody. Yeah. I, I'd want to get even with whoever yeah. did this to me and just knock a daylight out of them. But you don't see that on the part of these people who know that they're connected to self and they've nothing to fear. Right. And just to kind of go back to the watching the leaves on the river, it's not to say that, we, that Mandela or Jesus didn't have resentment or bitterness. And remember Jesus' plea, why have you forsaken me? There's extreme grief in that. But the ability to hold that and, and kind of move on nevertheless, to not be operated by fear, mm -hmm. is that's what's remarkable. I mean, we're talking about some really evolved people here, Mandela mm -hmm. and Jesus. <laughs> so I'm wondering how ordinary, Teresa, and Mother Teresa. Who yeah. also went for a long time yeah. questioning her faith. And she took a lot of hits for that. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that whatever her belief was, it didn't impede her from getting up every day and right. dealing with the suffering people of Calcutta. And we think about, even in Jesus's life, who we only really know about the last three years, it took time to develop whatever spirit, soul, 
practice he developed to be able to work into the walk into the last three years of his life mm-hmm. that we really read about in the Bible. And if anybody wants to know about how that happened, I think one of the most credible, and it's historical fiction Mm -hmm. because nobody knows, but Bruce Chilton's book on Rabbi Jesus is the best thing I've ever read on how Jesus left home probably around the age of 12 or 13 and spent those intervening years before his, quote, public ministry Mm -hmm. to to become the spiritual person that he was. It was not an easy, easy no, road. I for can't him. imagine. And I would also like to point out that during this time when we were talking about a lot of people being frightened, a lot of people have produced incredible, beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. Sherry and I left the house the other day to walk our dog. And as we were exiting the house, this guy walked in front of our house. I've never seen him. Not somebody I would recognize from the neighborhood. Just, I'd say a guy in his mid-50s, just walking around. He stopped, looked at us, and said, hey, folks, do you need anything? Can I go get you something? Mm-hmm. It's, there are people who are like that. I've had phone calls from people who are saying, how are you? Do you need anything? Do you need me to go to the store for you? And yeah. I've just said toilet paper. <laughs> That's right. Tenderness comes out also yeah. in, in moments of fear. And, <clears throat> and that's kind of, you know, we do have a choice about what we lean on. So a, a ton of people have sent me some really wonderful things. I want to read yes, one. Yes, yes. So. It, I think it's a very beautiful prayer. May we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips remember those that have no place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic market remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home remember those who have no home. During this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other, let us find ways to be in the loving embrace of God to our neighbors. We ask through Christ the healer. I think it's a beautiful prayer. It's beautiful. And you might think about that. your, your, your own acts of generosity in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pay for a personal service, like, for example, a personal trainer or have favorite wait staff or whatever, and you're not able to go now because of the lockdown, keep paying them mm-hmm. because uh, they're at the margins. They're at the edge. People who rely on contract or hourly wages. You had a story yeah. about a guy oh, who... Yeah. Yeah, but um, there was a story about a guy who went to Irma's Mexican restaurant downtown, and he, uh, I don't know how much food he bought, but he bought food and picked it up to go and left a $10,000 tip uh, to cover the wait staff for at least that week. And, I just, you know, those, that's beautiful. Not all of us have $10,000 in our pocket, but we may have an extra dollar, right? And, I, you know, the wait staff, the people who wash dishes, um, the people who prepare food, this is part of our kind of entertainment industry. 
people we rely on for things that we normally do, where we go and you know, break bread together, there's always a number of people working in the behind the scenes on that. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that I think are most at the margins who work hourly and, um, sorry, hourly and low wage jobs. Yeah. I, I think that um, even though there's no way to predict how long this shutdown will last, if you want to call it mm -hmm. that, these extreme measures, I think, and we will get to the other side of this. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen. And we have no way to imagine what that looks like. But we have an opportunity here to create a better, more just, equitable society. We have some time to think about we it. We have some time yep. to think about things. You know, I um, will be 83 my yes, next birthday. I know. And um, I am either blessed or cursed <laughs> with an... Um, for the most part, excellent memory. Mm -hmm. I can remember things from when I was two. Yeah. yeah. So I remember uh, the Sunday afternoon when people were gathered around their big old console radios that were, now we know they didn't need to be this big, mm -hmm. but they were big <laughs> wooden things that sat in the living room. And uh, we, we listened to um, the aftermath of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Mm. And uh, we listened to uh, the president's fireside chats mm -hmm. to calm people. You know, we have nothing to fear but fear itself right. kind of thing. And I remember how we came together as um, a society that w w was cooperative and kind in our desire to defeat this enemy. Mm -hmm. Oh, we have a different kind of enemy now, and it's this illness uh, we need to figure out ways to help each other get on the other side of. and it's I think it is important to um, actually not personify the virus and and to say this is happening as a result of something else what are the awarenesses we need to build so that pandemics don't continue to happen right what is our awareness about the environment what is our awareness about our dependence on chemicals what is our awareness about our own immunity that we need to build so that this doesn't continue. You know, that's, to me, it's an opportunity for awareness. How do we personify the virus? Um, we need to fight this virus, right? We need to fight this enemy. An enemy is an other, right? I'm wondering if we can take a stance of curiosity. Like, what is this telling us about? Not to eat bats. <laughs> Stop eating bats. <laughs> that could right. be. Yeah. That could be. Could something. be it. That could be it. Well, it, the way that we do exploit our resources and live in such a mindless way at times, we get consequences mm -hmm. from that. Mm -hmm. So back to the issue of fear. Mm -hmm. I have done some training with the man who owns the market on anxiety disorders in the United States. His name is Dr. David Burns. He is now Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry at Stanford. And Dr. Burns, you can look this up on the internet. We didn't bring this. Um, he came up with a list of things he calls cognitive distortions. Mm. And a cognitive distortion is a thought that you have that leads to your being frightened. Mm -hmm. And the distortion is something that's simply not true. And a distorted thought is things will always be the way they are, or I will starve to death, or whatever. Mm 
You right. have no evidence of that. Right. So get on the internet and look up Dr. David Burns' cognitive distortions. They can be very helpful in calming things down. Yeah. And there's also a, a teaching attributed to the Buddha. We don't know for sure, but it's one that uh, I keep close at hand. The thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into habit, and habit hardens in the, into character. So watch the thought and its ways with care, and let it spring from love born out of concern for all beings. Whether Buddha wrote that or not, it's beautiful and mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah, thoughts become things, is that simply put, but yeah. You know, Jesus taught the same thing. Yeah. Can you... Uh, add a day to your life by worrying about it? Usually can you we make can yourself, take it away. <laughs> uh, can you make yourself three inches taller? So. Right, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the spiritual work that we have to do is to connect with the self and this goes all the way back into the very earliest days of all the living re religions. The self is another word for God. Mm -hmm. And Meister Eckhart, the mystic that I quote a lot, says that when we lose contact with the self in the way that Eckhart meant the self, we lose to that degree contact with God. Yes. So hanging on to our identity that we are who we are in God, no more, no less, is another way to have the anxiety lessen and the assurance that things will be okay. Yeah. I love this also from um, Meister Eckhart. He, he wrote once, if I spent enough time with the tiniest creature, even a caterpillar, I would never have to prepare another sermon. So full of God is every creature. And this is, you know, again, talking about kind of what is, what is begging for our attention right now? What is begging for us to pay attention to it? Um, something as simple as a caterpillar. Right, the caterpillars aren't in quarantine. <laughs> the bugs aren't in quarantine. You know, the flowers aren't in quarantine. The night sky isn't in quarantine. It's 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 cloudy, but these things are also, I think, begging for our attention. And you know, one of the things we've been doing with the boys, or we did last week, was do little nature walks just to notice what's going on around you. Mm. You know, just. Noticing the rain, the sound of the rain, mm. or the slight chill of the air last night, the silence. I walked my dog last night, and it was so quiet. I live about seven blocks off of I-10, and normally you just hear constant droning of engines. It was so quiet last night. It was lovely. I'm wondering if we'll maybe mandate, like, every one day a week needs to be just a shutdown. Just go and listen. That'd be nice. That'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. some of us have personality types on the Enneagram that don't mind being shut down, you know, yeah. closed off, away, <laughs> like fives. And now you're a six. I'm a six, yeah. I actually don't feel very fearful. I feel careful, but I don't feel fearful. And fear is the driver of the six. So it must mean I'm evolving. <laughs> in this moment, well, I am evolving. Well, well, hang on to that. Yeah, I'll let you know in two weeks how I'm doing with homeschooling my children. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. just be, just yeah. be quiet, be still. Yeah. 
I love that line, and I first heard Jim Finley do this. By the way, you were suggesting that we talk to each other about things that have brought us joy yeah, in, yeah, in this time. Yeah. So um, I don't know if this is too technical to talk about, but um, I have a TV that's supposed to be a smart TV. I'm not sure how smart it is. But I connected my Apple TV to mm -hmm. it, which took me about an hour to do because I kept entering the password and it says wrong. And I got warned by my son, don't enter the wrong password too often or they'll shut you down. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find the password. <laughs> but I finally found the right password. I connected my Apple TV. And um, on the Apple TV, you've got all these options of things you can go to. One of them is YouTube. Right. And I thought, you know, you could look up anything on YouTube. You can. And so <laughs> I put, this is not, this embarrasses me to say. but <laughs> How you I, gave over to I entered my up own yourself. name into YouTube. <laughs> and guess who came up? We did. Oh, both of us? Yeah. Oh. We came up doing a talk on YouTube from sometime last year. Oh, wow. And then I, I entered Jim Finley uh -huh. into that. Uh -huh. And, oh, my gosh, I got this full plate of all these experiences that I could have with Jim Finley. So oh. we sat there and watched a 50-minute lecture mm -hmm. that Finley did at some Catholic church few years ago uh -huh. uh, if you've never seen Jim Finley give a talk he doesn't he doesn't stand up behind a lectern and speak he sits down yeah. and almost never looks at any notes and just shares himself yeah. and you can t there's something so authentic about him and what he has to say and he's so lighthearted he's really he one of the truly an, holy an people incredible out. giggle yeah, he does yeah. have a great giggle. Giggles. And a head of hair that's yeah. not right. Oh, okay, it's yeah. It's not fair. <laughs> are you are you speaking of the, the head he's, of hair that he you... Is, he is my age, and yeah. um, he's got this gorgeous head of dark hair. Yeah, that's I funny. I understand why people like that and symphony conductors... Have great hair. Have great hair. It must be a job requirement. It must be. Yeah, for the symphony conductor. Maybe they wear wigs sometime, too, if they... I don't think he wears a wig. Not Jim Finley, orchestra conductors. Oh. <laughs> Have you watched the series Beethoven, uh, what is it called? Beethoven in the City? No. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Um, it's a Netflix series and it's wonderful. It's about a, a sort of fictional account of the New York Symphony Orchestra. And the whole thing is about how the guy, the new conductor has hair. They even call him the hair. It's really funny. Is it a wig? Uh, no, it's his real hair for a minute, and then he chops it off. It's I'm giving too much away. Okay. You need right. to watch it. It's okay. so delightful. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we were we we kind of bypassed our um, our idea of the of the of what the cosmos is ask, asking us to be. Did you want to talk about that? Um, sure. We had a fight about it. So we, we, we had a fight about it. <laughs> Do you have a low tolerance for disagreement, Bill? <laughs> yeah. I'm conflict averse. Okay. I don't know what I am. I, I, so I, what, yeah. what I said is that I think the universe is asking something of us now, mm -hmm. and you said you didn't believe that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we, I guess we kind of touched on this, but the analogy you used was, um, and maybe you can say a little bit more about it, was the bean being planted, that it needs something outside of itself in order to grow, right? And this idea that, that, that it cannot grow without the sun, without the rain, without the elements. And I said, well, the elements also need the bean to, do, to work their magic. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm both coming from the perspective of um, Ilya Delio's talking about Teilhard de Chardin and mm -hmm. our being called forth into a future of love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're going to s claim that, you have to assume that there is love that's calling us forth. Right. And um, that is a huge assumption that you may not agree with. I, th I think it's, that's the entanglement part. It's both and. It is both within and to be revealed needs to be pulled from. Our so this entanglement that we are in, this lovely dance of, of, of needing what is around us to pull forth, to lead out what is within. So, you know, one of the principles of ordinary life mm -hmm. is that we are here to grow. Mm -hmm. And once we have dealt with the fundamental issues of surviving. Mm -hmm. How do we define what that growth is? Mm -hmm. And it's growth into what? For what? Mm -hmm. Right. What are our resources? What are our... Wh what is the understanding of why we're here? Mm -hmm. And it's not just... I can't believe it's just to consume. No, I, I don't think so either. There's, again, I, th I think that there's a mutuality in not just consuming. I think when we're blind, when we're sort of unseeing, we are just in a what's in it for me yeah. kind of mentality. So we're going to keep talking about yeah, this yeah. As, as we yeah, go forward. But yeah. we're talking about these... Um, what Karen Armstrong calls the four immeasurables of love. Right. But they, they uh, she got that from Buddhism. Yeah. I mean, that comes straight out of Buddhist psychology, yeah. Buddhist teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can then go back. A lot of people have asked, why do I refer to the Buddhist teaching so much? And that's because it's so systematized. It's so organized in a way that Jesus did not organize his right. teachings at all. People who came after him did, and they put them in some order that more fits the person than mm -hmm. the character of mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. But these things that Karen Armstrong is talking about, if you read her outstanding book, 12, 12 Steps to a More Compassionate Life, mm -hmm. I think that's the title of it. Yeah. Um, she talks about this time in human history where there was so much violence in the world, all over the world, uh, territorial violence that was born out of the agricultural revolution, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and people were just 
killing each other for territory so that they could, I mean, the justi justification of it was we need this territory to grow land and to be safe, uh, to grow crops and be safe and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was during this time that the prophets of Israel and the Buddha and Lao Tse and Confucius and all these people who had no connection with each other, they had no internet to communicate, came up with what I call the evolution of right religion. Mm -hmm. And right religion is don't do to somebody what you would not want done to yourself. And then out of that came these immeasurables of, of, of love. And one of them is loving kindness and compassion and joy mm -hmm. and equanimity or peace. Right. And this four. There's some things that have brought me joy this week, this last, these last couple of days in quarantine. One of them actually is, um, this was, this guy was introduced to me by Lenicia Rouse Tinsley. She's an artist here in Houston. And actually she um, was just about to have an opening at Project Row Houses in one of the installations, but it got canceled because, because here we are. And, um, but sh I, I keep watching her work on Instagram and she's creating beautiful things right now. But anyways, she mentioned Ross Gay, the poet, to me once, and he has a book called The Book of Delights, which he for a year wrote just little tiny things that brought him delight during the day and compiled his favorites over the course of a year into this book of tiny essays. And one of them is a good reminder of how we don't know how things are going to turn out, but how we can delight in the moment. So he writes in number 50, Hickory's my friend Michael and I met today to put together the order for the nut grove the city has asked the community orchard to plant and oversee. Hazelnuts, pecans, wart nuts, which are a mix of heartnut and butternut, hickories. How long until the hickories start making their fruit, I asked Michael. He said, oh, they'll be in full production in about 200 to 250 years. So they're planting something that they don't even get to see the fruits of. You know, they're, they're hoping for something to come. And I really think that's similar to this situation. It's really similar to every moment, but it's heightened right now. We don't know what will come, but what fruits are we planting? Yeah, I had a professor in graduate school who quoted a line to me, I'm just now recalling, that I will... I don't think it was original with him, but he said that they, a definition of faith and hope is to plant a tree in whose shade you know you will never right. sit. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it is. It's gorgeous. I mean, the, the, and it's an act of hope, right? It's an right. act of something beyond. And um, another thing a friend of mine sent me on. Uh, I hope this works I for the too. people who are watching. <laughs> Um, sent me on uh, St. Patrick's Day, you know that, um, uh, well, two things. A friend of mine that I went to high school with said that she rolled out her harp onto her driveway and just played her harp for people who were walking by. Uh, one of our closest friends was passing by the mucky duck, and a guy was bagpiping on the roof of the mucky duck for anyone who wanted to pass by and listen. How did you get this in case somebody wants to watch it later? Um, it's uh, My friend Jaime sent it to me from his phone. And I think it's on his YouTube. I can send a link to it. So, yeah. 
These are little moments of joy, I think, that people are spreading right now. Is that volume working, or is it? Okay, sort of. So you know what would happen if I got my harp out and played it on my driveway? People would walk away. Nobody would walk by my house anymore. <laughs> so this actually also fostered a whole conversation about how I didn't know that both Irish and Scotsmen wore kilts. Yeah. Both do. Depends yeah. on your clan. This is, this is actually speaking of music. Another thing that brought me a lot of joy, and this doesn't happen. We've been married almost 14 years. Josh struggled to dance with me on the day we got married. We danced on the porch to some songs the other night. It just it, that doesn't happen in our house, and it was really beautiful and fun and funny. <laughs> Finding that Jim Finley video is something yeah. that brought me an immense amount of joy this week because yeah. I know now that I can. There's a whole uh, wealth of material out there. We have it's so much richness yeah. of things that we have access to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I can't tell you. I, I'm, I do say it a lot to people here and elsewhere. If you don't do it, the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. Keep a gratitude journal. Yeah. Write down every day three or four things that happened the day before that you're grateful for and, and keep that handy one of the things i think we can be grateful for is fear because it teaches us to see differently it teaches us to see what's beneath 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 we have uh, about 50 seconds i know and one we both have poems we want to read too if we went over three or four minutes would that be the end of the world is anyone rushing off? <laughs> Is it okay if I just read this and we skip the rest? Oh, sure. You sure? I mean, yeah, you can have the last word. <laughs> you sound like Lawrence O'Donnell. <laughs> Isn't that the guy who says the last word? I don't remember. It is pretty cool, though, um, just before you start. You know, the artists and the poets and the musicians, they continue to create during this time. And we, and we are also fortunate because we have this immense electronic media that allows us to experience all of this. There's also a lot of fear and nonsense mm -hmm. out there that people need to be careful of. Mm -hmm. I think that it's healthy to limit your intake of what's happening, news updates, to about 10 or 15 minutes a day. Don't watch the news. It's too, it's too scary. I mean, um, I still am going to keep my vow to get a stopwatch and watch sometime when we're watching a, a, a program, and I happen to stop on some news program, how much content there is compared with how many commercials. Do we get a lot of text? Oh, no, just checking to make sure. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Okay, we'll check these and we will, <laughs> Add we will, to our we'll, we'll respond. Yeah. We gotta have, maybe yeah. have a better way to do that. <laughs> there is a Irish poet, Catholic priest, a guy in the name of Richard Hendrick who wrote a prayer that I would like for us to close with. Uh, is this the one you're sharing? Hmm? This, you, you wanna read that one? You can read it. Oh no, I was, th I was thinking yours was at the end, the one that has. It may be. Read that, that's great. This poem is great. This is actually, I found this via Matt Russell. You read it. No. No, I insist. 
<laughs> We're having a live argument. <laughs> one, two. Okay. We can read it together. I'll, I, we can do part by part. Lockdown. Yes, there is fear. Yes, there is isolation. Yes, there is panic buying. Yes, there is sickness. Yes, there is even death. But they say that in Wuhan, after so many years of noise, you can hear the birds again. They say that after just a few weeks of quiet, the sky is no longer thick with fumes, but blue and gray and clear. They say that in the streets of Assisi, people are singing to one another across the empty squares, keeping their windows open so that those who are alone may hear the sounds of family around them. They say that a hotel in the west of Ireland is offering free meals and delivery to the housebound. Today, a young woman I know is busy spreading flyers with her number through the neighborhood so that the elders may have someone to call on. Today, churches, synagogues, mosques, and temples are preparing to welcome and shelter the homeless, the sick, the weary. All over the world, people are slowing down and reflecting. All over the world, people are looking at their neighbors in a new way. All over the world, people are waking up to a new reality, to how big we really are, to how little control we really have, to what really matters, to love. So we pray and we remember that, yes, there is fear, but there does not have to be hate. Yes, there is isolation, but there does not have to be loneliness. Yes, there is panic buying, but there does not have to be meanness. Yes, there is sickness, but there does not have to be the disease of the soul. Yes, there is even death, but there can always be a rebirth of love. Wake to the choices you make as to how to live now. Today, breathe. Listen behind the factory noises of your panic. The birds are singing again. The sky is clearing, spring is coming, and we are always encompassed by love. Open the windows of your soul, and though you may not be able to touch across the empty square, sing. And what we didn't get to in our notes, we will do... <laughs> Someday. I'll we'll do next week. Uh, we'll respond to what you said as well. Uh, remember, stay well. Reach out and contact us through the uh, cell phone numbers that we gave. They'll be on the website um, by Tuesday morning. Uh, just call, send an email, whatever. And remember that no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you need to take care of yourself. Watch your step because you are precious cargo. Mm -hmm. See you here next Sunday. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks.